Hello and welcome to this Innovation Forum podcast with me, Ian Welsh. To open Innovation Forum's Sustainable Apparel and Textiles event recently, I had a conversation with Textile Exchange COO Claire Burkamp. We talked about what the sector, and business more broadly, should be doing in the run-up to the COP26 meeting in Glasgow, Scotland this autumn. Claire, what are your hopes for COP26? I mean, I think like many folks, we've got a lot of hopes for COP. COP26 is being regarded as the most important COP since uh, the Paris Agreement in 2015. This will be the first time that nations come together to discuss the commitments they made at the Paris Agreement. Each nation that is coming has signed up to first announce a set of specific climate action known as the Nationally Determined Contributions, or NDCs. They're also set to reveal longer-term plans to decarbonize their economies by 2050 and to set targets to give $100 billion a year to countries considered the most vulnerable to climate change. So I think that if all of those things get it moving, that would be great. One thing is that the nationally determined contributions as they stand today are not what is needed. They're not adequate. We need nations to step it up. Uh, nations have not shown the level of climate ambition needed to drive the deep and rapid change required to avoid and ad- adapt to the worst impacts of climate change. I think one good sign is that the U.S. is back in the Paris Agreement, and we all feel that success at COP26 is crucial. Um, we really need governments to fulfill the promises that they've set in the past, really focusing on those NDCs and finance. But we also recognize, I think all of us, that governments can't do this alone. And I think that, you know, in this context, we're going to talk about that a little bit, that the world needs to come together, that governments, along with cities and businesses, need to step up to the transition to a low-carbon future. Businesses have different resources, different skills, and different capacity. There's more ability to engage with innovation, which is what we're going to need to achieve the 1.5 degree ambition. And I also really hope to see solid commitments and plans for greener, more sustainable economies. We have this opportunity, which is a very rare opportunity to build back and to build back greener. And I really, really hope that we see coming out of COP real commitments that are meaningful towards building back better and achieving what's already on the agenda. Do you think it's going to deliver the you know the clear outcomes, the ambitious goals and the final decisions on carbon markets that our, our conference content suggests? I mean, is that going to happen, do you think? Well, I don't know, but <laughs> uh, truth be told, I don't feel like anyone knows. This is expected to be one of the big debate topics, for sure, you know, that people do seem to have very different views on carbon markets, nations. But it's critical that we do find or get to a favorable conclusion. International carbon markets put a price on carbon, which I think most people know. And it's important that we deal with this and we get to conclusion in the negotiations. If we want to have a chance of stabilizing global temperature rise and avoiding runaway climate change, we we really have to get this. They're a key component of the Paris Agreement, and we know that the world needs them. So I do hope that we see a conclusion to it. Well, from what I've read and you know heard, this is highlighted as one of the things where uh, there's expected to be robust and a big topic of debate happening. Moving on from what we were just discussing, do you think there's a danger of putting too many eggs in this cop-shaped basket? I think there, I mean, there's always a danger when we put too much pressure on anything, is what I, I would say. We need to acknowledge how important COP is, but at the same time, we don't need to wait for this, this moment or any moment to get going. Um, I do think, you know, we we assume that one thing is going to solve it for us. It never quite comes to that. We do have solutions now that we know that work. We know that we need to decarbonate supply chains. We know that we need to phase out coal. We need to support better farming practices, look at ways for sequestration and regeneration. 
So there's things that we need to be doing now. And if people aren't already doing them, then I would say we don't need to wait or rely on COP to get moving. That being said, it's an incredible moment for movement. So I do hope that we see some of the outcomes that we've been waiting on. It feels to me that perhaps one of the differences now to previous meetings that everyone's built up to is that there really are now quite a lot of solutions out there. We, and as you say, we do know what has to be done. And there is definitely a sense of that moving along. Do you think that's the case? Do you think that the moment is now because, in fact, we can see some of the solutions as exceptions and that they have to be used? I do think that we're at a place where there's no excuse not to get things going. You know, I've been quite heartened by some of the news coming out of the U.S. personally, you know, that there's a way to do this that makes business sense, that makes sense for governments that, you know, I think people have been talking about for years and years, but we have 10 years, you know, we own less now quite a bit. <laughs> we have till 2030 to really see some significant reductions. And if we don't get moving on the solutions that we know, we're not going to make the deadline. In my previous life in a brand, all of the major successes that we saw, you know, at a corporate level around transforming supply chains <laughs> took years, not months. We have till 2030 to make some of these massive reductions, but we have to start now. Nothing's going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a month. It's not going to happen in a day. Um, these are massive transformations and system change that we need to start to enact. Do you think that, in fact, one of the silver linings of the pandemic response will be that it's clearly demonstrable that action can be made quickly. I mean, the way that actions on governments have really, really moved very fast and unleashed huge resources to tackle the crisis from the pandemic. Is there a sense that if we get climate to be treated as a s similar sort of a crisis, in fact, maybe things can be moved in this, at the speed and the rate of change necessary? I would like to think, yes, that we can learn and see how quickly we can collaborate as nations, as a world, uh, to address a problem. I also want to be realistic <laughs> and know that policy needs to be a huge part of this. The collaboration is absolutely there. We've now seen how to mobilize and address a problem collectively. And so we have that. Maybe it's a good time to build on top of that ability and that knowledge that we can work together a bit better. But at the same time, we need that policy. We need those regulations. We need the carbon markets because without them, the building back will be done in the most financially, you know, in a system in which exists without considerations that need to be taken in. Um, we won't be phasing out coal. We won't be decarbonizing, which we just absolutely have to do. Yes, the, kind of, the change in the sort of uh, the way the markets operate really has to come, doesn't it? Are you optimistic that under the situation we are currently, the promises being made to the developing countries will be kept. Do you think promises will be kept? I think until the negotiations start, we are kind of guessing. It feels like I'm hearing is that there's movement towards those three things I mentioned around the NDCs, the decarbonizing economies, and the contribution, the financial contribution. Those, those are at the top of the agenda still. Um, they haven't been removed. And so they will be there. They will be talked about. They will be debated. And I do hope that we see what we need to see. It's hard to know. I mean, of course, it's a hard moment financially for governments of the world as well. But these finance targets need to be top of the agenda. What do you think we need to do if we get to the end of the year and we have a bit of a fudge, as has been in the case in so many other similar meetings? What do we do if this simply is a bit of a, well, we don't quite get where we need to, there's a sort of bit of movement, but it actually all comes into a fudge at the end of the day. What, what do we do then? Truth be told, we have to hold people in power accountable. That's what it comes down to. These are representatives, government representatives coming to negotiate on our behalf as citizens. And if there's a fudge, we need to hold them accountable to it. Climate cannot continue to be or become in places where it isn't a partisan issue. It cannot be one political party or the other. 
it is something that we need to hold anyone in any office accountable for. It's an issue of uh, survival, as dramatic as that sometimes does sound, it's the truth. And so holding our leaders and elected officials accountable is what we need to do. Even if there's not a fudge, probably, but <laughs> if there is a fudge, it becomes crucial that we ask for that level of accountability back to the people that are there negotiating on our behalf. Let's think of the apparel sector. For the apparel sector, what are you looking for particularly from COP? I think for the apparel sector, it's an interesting moment to come together. I think that uh, there's power in storytelling and companies can think about how they want to tell their story around what they're doing to address climate change. So I don't want to take away from that. But at the same time, let's not let this be only the moment. We need to keep it going. We also know that business does play an important role in these negotiations. In the past, you know, it, it works if a business says, we'll do this if policymakers do this. And then if you do that, we'll go further and do this. This, showing that willingness for a plan of action to help influence policy in the right direction is meaningful. I think that brands, organizations can make commitments, continue to make commitments and, and advance the level of ambition in those commitments, get into the detail of what those commitments mean. Um, you know, in textiles, a lot of impact is at the textile fiber cultivation stage. Get to know your supply chains, understand what those commitments are actually going to take, whether it's the removal of coal or the changing of how cotton is grown or wool, you know, sheep graze. Really starting to unpack that, I think, is going to be important leading up and after COP. There's a moment for motivation, specifically in fashion and in textiles. We in this industry have a really powerful communication vehicle to the customer, to the people. And I think that there's an opportunity to think about what is the 1.5 degree pathway for consumers? I mean, how do we engage consumers in a more meaningful way towards the transformation that we want to see? <laughs>